0: Hey, everyone. My name is Oliver Turner. I'm the Executive Vice President of Corporate Development for Corora Resources, a Western Australian growing gold producer.
1: I uh, to see you, Oliver. Uh, th- th- thanks for coming on. Uh, I know you're kind of getting all p- pumped up for um, being BMAC down in Miami. You've got the Red Cloud event in Toronto. I think there's Metals Forum, there's, and of course, PDAC. Uh, okay. bu- busy time of year for everyone. Um, look, you, let's, let's start with the press release you put out this morning, but I, I kind of want to get into um, well, how things are going and how things are going to progress in 2024 in the context of gold is still really hard to read. But press oh. release that you've put out this morning for us with regards to um uh Fletcher, I think it was.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um you no, know, it was it was great to get those results out this morning on, on both Fletcher and Larkin and, and just for a little refresh for everyone, Fletcher is that new shear zone that we identified early last year that's west of Western Flanks. Western Flanks is the engine room of Beta Hunt or a primary asset. You know, it has well over a million ounces on it alone of the 2.7 million ounces that we have at uh, Beta Hunt. Fletcher is looking like a Western Flanks analog. It is big. It's over two kilometers strike. We've drilled that bottom 500 meters uh, pretty densely right now. Of course, what we're aiming to do is get that into an initial inferred resource by the update at the end of this year. So we're, we're drilling it uh, like a batter to hell. Every time we put a, a pierce point through it, uh, we're getting tremendous results. Everybody remembers sort of the discovery drill hole on the southern end of it last year, which was a whopping 46 grams over seven meters. Uh, I don't think anybody's upset with those kind of results. Uh, certainly going to be interesting once we start mining through those areas. Uh, but we're also seeing some very uh, wide widths, some some fantastic intercepts in terms of the width of the zone. So this morning, we put out a drill result that was 3.8 grams over 33 meters. So you're seeing both widths, which of course equates to tons. And then you're seeing these pockets of higher grade intercepts, which uh, which are tremendous. And you know the average grade for years at Beta Hunt has been that 2.6, 2.7 grams per ton. So every time we're intersecting some of these higher grade areas, it adds that potential flexibility in the future to improve head grades, which of course is all based on a fixed cost environment. Uh, your fixed costs remain the same. The operation is all free cash flow. So Beta Hunt, uh, you know, it, as we've always said, it, it truly is a very, very large operation. It's a it's a large ore body. Every year, year after year, we've added significant ounces to it it's ever since we wound back that royalty. Fletcher's kind of the next one up. It's uh, it's looking like a big shear zone. And remember, uh, you know, when it comes to gold and nickel, uh, even though nickel's not the flavor du jour these days, uh, there's no occurrence at Beta Hunt where there is a gold shear zone without nickel on top. So that potential remains there. Then switching down to Larkin uh, again, just just sort of steady as she goes in terms of the intercepts that we're delivering there. Not quite as wide as Fletcher, but that's okay. We're mining other areas that, like A Zone, which are obviously higher grade but slightly narrower. And Fletcher, sorry, Larkin is continuing to deliver there as well. We had an initial resource on Larkin this year included, and we'll look uh, to continue to grow that. And and one thing that I do want to remind everyone of, in terms of all your investors, is that all of our mining for the last four or five years has only been on western flanks in A zone. All of those ounces that we've mined, over 400,000 ounces, has only been from there. So it's really important uh, context when you start to think of the fact that we have seven other identified shear zones, and some of them are as big as what Fletcher is looking to be. So when you start talking about 2.7 million ounces today, where could it be in a few years? Um, certainly much higher than 2.7 million ounces, which is starting to build that single critical mass uh for for us to build a long-term future on right okay i like talking to companies like you
1: because you're in production you're hitting your production targets and guidance quarter after quarter yep and i can measure you on that i don't need to question your ability to mine to build to explore okay so that makes it really easy for me um that said you are in a position now, and I know we've talked about ramping up, and you know it's not twenty twenty four; it's twenty twenty five in terms of your ability to kind of do that step change, and that's what I'm looking for from you. And I suspect that what the institutional uh, shareholders are looking for from you is the is the ability to continue to deliver the not only the um, the kind of growth plan capital which you're applying to the exploration, but the meaningful and significant step change in production to become a true mid. Tier. So, can you just kind of run us through the kind of phasing of the different projects, and, and in fact, how are treating um you know, how are you treating um, Fletcher and Larkin, for instance, as part of that mix, and part of that reserve building, part of that resource building?
0: Yeah, yeah, no, good question, and and you're right. We're kind of on year year three of that sort of growth plan deployment that we that we rolled out a few years ago in terms of that getting to that uh, you know two, roughly 200,000 ounces a year by 2025, which is what we laid out, which equates to from a mining perspective, uh, two million tons of rock per year mined uh, by the end of 2024. So this year we're ramping up. We're going to do about 1.7 million tons this year. We did about four million tons last year. Um, So it's that last sort of step to get to that annualized rate, which really turns this, you know, this company into into a much bigger company and turns the Beta Hunt operation into a much bigger operation as it stands this year. So remember last year, we added those three ventilation raises. Wonderful. They're all switched on uh, full vent capacity, which has really taken the handcuffs or the shackles off the operation. And just for quick context, it's important to remember that originally we were planning on expanding the Higginsville mill to coincide with the installation of these vent raises, but when we bought Lakewood, we basically got all that extra milling capacity about 14 to 15 months ahead of time. So now the mine, let's let's phrase it this way the mine is finally caught up to the mills we may be able to f- fill those mills no problem but the mine is able to ramp up so this year is additional stoke development that goes in to get more working faces to deliver those 2 million tons per year Look, one of the things that was very impressive in 2023 is with all of the new equipment that we have and obviously you know the great operation team we have there we had some months where we did over 100,000 tons a month. Now, you know, do some simple math here. You annualize that. That's actually over 2 million tons per year. So you start to think about where this mine could go in 2025 and beyond. Uh, 2 million tons per annum would be our starting mark. So it can get even bigger from a tonnage perspective. And what are the two levers of producing more gold ounces? One is moving more rock or more tons, and the other thing is obviously trying to improve head grades. So you asked about where Fletcher, Larkin, we also have Mason and Cowsill, which are coming into the picture now. How do those fit into our long-term mine plan? Well, currently, our current internal life of mine plan is built on current resources, which is what you have to do as an operating company, of course. And that's primarily Western Flanks and A Zone, a little bit of Larkin, a little bit of Mason but no Fletcher in there whatsoever. So as we're drilling out Fletcher, as I mentioned at the beginning of the call, we drilled that bottom 500 meters, we get that into resource. And obviously, internally, we're able to do things a little bit faster than as we deploy things out to the market. Um, That's starting to add not only um, another potential source of higher grade ounces, and we'll see as we get there and start taking those initial cuts through Fletcher. But also, and this is something that cannot be understated, operational flexibility, and I know that's not a sexy term, uh, you know, that people get all excited about, but what it allows you to do is allows you to take tons from different sources and ensure that you're able to deliver your mine plan with a lower risk level. Look, there's always risk in mining. There's always things that go wrong. that You have to overcome every single quarter. We do that. That's our job. When you have a whole nother set of working faces, like we're going to have at Fletcher, it adds that additional flexibility to deliver. So potentially more tons, Potentially higher grade and certainly more operational flexibility just creates a more robust delivery of that growth plan. And then, look, let's circle up and once we have that resource out into the market and let's start talking in 2025 and beyond. What are the levers that we can pull to make this thing an even bigger operation than it already is?
1: Okay. so, But but if I look at um, some of the targets that you, you, you've given guidance for, which is around COT, the ASIC, which is like, a, a, you know, 1050 to 1200, um, higher head grade. Is going to help. Our gold price is going to help. Talk to me about the things, the other things that you're in control of, the other variables in terms of driving that down. Because the way you come at Larkin, for instance – it's, it's, you got a little bit more fluidity there, haven't you, in terms of the way that you mouse that operation?
0: Yeah, for sure. Look, I mean, that, that operational flexibility is big, um, and I you know I kind of mentioned it with a little bit of a comment at the beginning uh, of the call. You know, nickel is not the flavor de jour these days. Obviously, we're seeing a tough nickel market worldwide, right? And you know, I don't need to emphasize to, to your listeners, and investors, mining is a cyclical business. Things don't go away forever, right? Things come back, and there's a reason why there's very large players making some interesting moves into nickel right now. Indonesia's been pumping out a lot of nickel uh, that. Won't happen forever at those cost levels so nickel will come back Um, the wonderful thing about beta hunt is that we can turn that nickel on and off almost at will because we have the existing operation there, mining all the gold, and I'm oversimplifying things right now, but you turn right for gold, you turn left for nickel. They really are that close. Um, we have the capability to ramp that up you know, whenever we want, and that is tremendous from a byproduct credit perspective. Um, we also have the ability, uh, you know, as you increase the amount of tons that you're moving, obviously economy scale come into play. Um, that's huge. Uh, head, higher head grades certainly help, but I do want to make sure that everybody's aware, and, and I'm not going to say anything that anybody doesn't know, the, the ones that sort of one sticking point that we certainly have in Western Australia and the mining sector in general, and I would say worldwide in every sector is labor costs. Labor costs, you know, we've seen a lot of cost inflation over the last couple of years. Labor costs are sticky. You don't expect people to get paid 30% less a year from now. It's not the way the world works. However, what's really important is that we've seen those plateau over the course of 2023. And that is something that I think all precious metals and mining investors should be happy to see across the sector. And certainly in Western Australia, look, we've seen all miners increase from, uh, you know, let's say a base of thousand to 1200 we see them add anywhere from 100 to 200 bucks an ounce in their AIS- aisc guidance what are the ways that we can potentially combat that um, as i mentioned nickel as i mentioned economies of scale and grade and one thing i do want to mention right now because we haven't talked since this press release would put out actually was our recent PPA, PPA announcement? So we announced an agreement with a third-party uh, power generator uh, for a power purchase agreement. And one of the things that happens at Higginsville is, and this is very typical for Western Australia and remote mining in general, all of our power at Higginsville, which powers our mill, it's our biggest power consumer, is generated from diesel gensets or basically HFO power stations on site. Very large diesel generated power, and you know at the peak of it, that was over forty cents a kilowatt hour. For your viewers that are sitting in Manitoba right now, they're probably falling out of their chairs because they pay three to four cents a kilowatt hour there. Um, but forty cents a kilowatt hour—we're well below that now. What this PPA allows us to do? There's two things. First of all, it's a lower grid factor, um, which is wonderful uh, in terms of your, your cost of carbon. But most importantly, the overall cost is lower. We're basically having our power costs. The power cost s- savings are significant, and we should see that play into 2025. What's happening this year? We signed that agreement. Basically, we're tying into a grid. The grid connection is going to be built by the power supplier, not additional cost uh, capital cost to Corora. And then over the course of 10 years, we pay back the cost of the capital installment via our rate. But the most important thing to get to the crux of it is that you're going to see a reduced power cost for the Higginsville mill, which is another way in 2025 and beyond. Once that's switched on, it's going to take this year to put that into place. You'll see... Potential cost reductions, or let's just say hedging of potential cost increases as well. So lots of levers that we can pull. Um, you know, we're heads down working on all these projects at the same time, uh, which is a good thing. But uh, we're in a comfortable spot.
1: Okay, so I, I'm not going to be shaken from. what <laughs> I, I need to understand this, the nickel contribution here because, look, ultimately, I, I I care about the margin that companies make, right? I, you guys got to make money, and I want to know where that's where it's coming from. And the nickel thing is, okay, I've tried once. I'll try another way, which is. Um, nickels at what? That's, I think this morning, last night, seventeen thousand two hundred. Okay, you know, mm-hmm. was it twenty twenty thousand? You know, and and end of uh, well Octoberish, mm-hmm. right? So it's it's kind of like bouncing around a bit. Given the the contribution from nickel, potential average contribution from nickel, do you reallocate resources into gold? Where you're starting to see these much higher grades and just rein back the nickel component for now? Or can the ship not turn that quickly and actually just kind of go to ride these these um, these waves, as it were?
0: Beta is a very, it's a good question. Beta is a very unique operation. And, and I would not say this honestly about any other mine in the world. And, you know, I spent seven years as a mining analyst visiting dozens of these operations all over the world on a yearly basis. So it, it's certainly a very unique operation in the fact that all of that infrastructure, remember, it was a nickel mine for 35 years, 400 kilometers of existing development that cost you $2 billion to build today. All of that was put in place to mine the nickel. We've now been using that same infrastructure to mine the gold that's immediately next to it. Beta hunts is a unique capability in how flexible it is. Of course, you can't make a week-by-week decision, but can you make a six-month-by-six-month decision? Absolutely. To switch something up or to ramp it up or ramp it back down based on the nickel uh, market, there aren't, I mean, by, by definition, you either have a nickel mine or you have a gold mine. And if you're only nickel, obviously, you're seeing a lot of them shut down right now. It's, a t- it's tough times. Uh, and when gold prices you know, roll over, there's certainly lots of gold operations that shut down all over the world. Here, we have the capability where we are a gold mining company. Through and through, that's who we are, that's our identity, and that's what we're focused on. We're building and ramping up our gold operations. We have this incredible capability with over $700 million at current valuations of nickel in resource today, that we can mine that or tap that, basically when nickel prices are in a place that we want to mine it at. So the ability to throttle there is unique, not a week by week decision, maybe a semi-annual by semiannual decision. But what you said is, you know, is, is definitely accurate. The fact that we see a resurgence in those nickel prices, you can bet your bottom dollar, we're going to be switching to reallocating some more resources in there. And look, remember, this is our last big capital year at Beta Hunt with, with respect to the growth plan, right? Getting all that development in place for that long-term future at 2 million tons per annum. Plus, once we're into 2025 and that, you know, the capital program is is pulled back we have even more resources to allocate into into certain things. Free cash flow goes up. We can make better decisions when it comes to, or I should say less encumbered decisions when it comes to where we allocate our resources. But as it stands right now, heads down focused on the gold program uh, and getting that ramped up, and that'll be our long-term basis for the future.
1: Okay, so the, the, the guidance for this year is one seventy one ninety five, to oh. and I'll be looking each quarter to see if you continue to deliver you know, at, at or near that. Um, we are all very interested in the gold price at the moment' sitting just just above uh two thousand we 've had a conversation now where you 've been talking to me about all the things that you are mostly in control of obviously Mother Nature has some say in that but you you 're hitting your targets the things that are not in control clearly what 's happening in the equities market broadly last three years absolute um nightmare for gold companies because the normal rules have not applied. We said it at the time, we said it the whole way through, and nothing's changed there. This should be the perfect environment for gold. I'm not asking you necessarily to make a forecast about when things move, but when things move, how does that play out? Is it do we get this accretive growth? Do we get this violence growth? I mean what what, what do you what do you see, you know, and what would you therefore say to your current travelers and existing shareholders uh you know ha- compared to how the market is actually valuing you at the moment
0: yeah for sure and and look i mean there, there's a reason why people own gold equities right there's gold bullion which the old adage is uh, you don't hold gold bullion to get rich you hold it not to get poor in your portfolio like and broadly speaking in large portfolios when it comes to gold equities that's when you want leverage to the price of gold, right? And it is very, very extreme leverage, especially with levered gold producers or producers that that are like us that are scaling as well. Uh, When when prices start to move, or what I should say is when capital starts to flow back into the sector, whether it's generalists, which obviously have been getting further and further away from the sector over time, or whether it's new capital comes into specialist funds. And I know of two over the last several years that have started up, which is good news for the sector. Um, One of them is one of our investors, which is wonderful to have. When capital starts to move into our sector, you look at the combined market cap of the sector, it's not that big. I mean, it, it's, it's smaller than the market cap or it's a fraction of the market cap of single tech companies, right? Um, so when capital starts to move back into the sector, there's only so many homes for it to go and it kind of has a cascading effect of priorities. So typically speaking, um, you one could say that the creation of, of the, the, the minor ETFs kind of ate the lunch of the producers about 10, 15 years ago. So you have the GDX, GDXJ, then you have the royalty producers, you know, the Franco Nevadas of the world. So first ports of call are typically VanEck, GDX, J, uh, GDX, and GDXJ. Then you have the royalty producers. Then they go to the big boys, you know, the Newmonts, the Barracks of the world. And then once the the trade is really on and people are looking for more exposure and more leverage to it, they come down to the intermediate and mid-tier producers. And then of course, down to junior producers. And that's where things get really fun. Um, That's where you want to build a position in companies that you think are going to be still stable over the course of the next period of time again i'm not going to take my crystal ball out and say it's going to be you know april 1st when things uh that was an april Fools' joke. i promise uh april 1st when things start to, to ramp up um i'm going to say that when things do you want to be positioned in companies that have that leverage but at the same time are still going to be able to move forward with their strategy and their capital plans over the the interim period that's what these financed uh cash flow generating growing gold producers are able to do that's what core is able to do we're able to execute on a plan no matter what we got over 80 million in cash we're generating good margins here while building the business we get into 2025 and beyond and you know this thing starts to generate serious cash flow and once that uh, that sort of sectoral trade uh is on these are the names that move very very quickly so there's an element of you know with all of us we're all mining equity investors an element of you know patience, an elephant of frustration in terms of where the market's been, but an element of anticipation for when it turns. You, sometimes you don't even want to miss those first few days of the trade because things can move 20%, 30% that quickly. It's it's a great sector to be in for that, for that that from that perspective. And that's why you want to own stocks like KRR.
1: Yeah. And do you think that you're allocating the capital the right way in the sense that you've got a big land package, you continue to find uh, an, an increase, you know, increasing grade really, really, really helps as well. So sc- scaling up with the existing portfolio is the right thing to do. We've seen a few companies make a few moves. There's a few bidding wars. Uh, there's a few kind of big acquisitions going on out there. Um, there's also been a few companies fall over. So it's a very interesting dynamic environment out there. Do you feel sort of comfortable
0: in your the strategy and maintaining the strategy 100 absolutely i mean look we, we've, we've laid the strategy out years ago we've executed on every single year you know internally we're always working on a three-year plan that's how we roll things forward we don't think in terms of next quarter we think in the next in terms of the next three to five years and where do we want to be and in the mining business your job is you know is, is a few things first and foremost to mine safely and bring people home secondly is to generate cash and build a business to make money third is to make sure that no matter what you're doing look you mentioned it before this is a sector that um, you know basically grows via eating other companies you always want to be attractive as well you want to make sure that you're not doing anything to to change that story from an acquirer perspective so we want to make sure that we're delivering on all three of those at all times. We have been for years, and ultimately that's what delivers shareholder returns in the sector, especially on a relative basis. Look, the whole sector trades down, you be want to be one of the names that flat. The whole sector trades up, you want to be outpacing the rest of the group, and the whole sector is rolling over, you want to be one of those that's remaining standing. That's the way that it works, and that's what our strategy is.
1: Right. Okay. And then just this one for the, this one, one for retail, but it's one for retail by looking at what institutional guys and gals and even the analysts look to you and see okay so you're getting some pretty pretty hefty um target prices from the from the brokers right all good um you've got some big shareholders in the shape of Invesco and Eric Sprott and Banak and all you know all the usual suspects in there they continue continue to hold uh and you got a lot of them what what is it that they're getting from you that they couldn't get from elsewhere or are you just part of a sort of interesting group of producers who continue to generate cash how
0: how, how do they view you i would say i'd say there's a there's a niche in the market right now um there's probably about i would say five to seven companies that fit the bill of a growing junior gold producer that has ambitions and a plan and an executable strategy to be a mid-tier and intermediate producer we will reign that pack there's only five to seven of them um it's not a big group um that's a very good place to be as we all know, and you talk to dozens of these companies, when you move a little bit lower in market cap or a little bit earlier in stage, I mean, let's not kid ourselves here. There's some amazing projects around the world. Uh, being an unfinanced developer in this environment over the last several years has been very, very challenging, both from an acquisition perspective and from a project finance perspective. Being a small explorer, look, there's been some, you know, obviously, some wonderful discoveries, but it's been hard for the majority of them. So this is a niche that the bigger guys want to dip their toes in. You talk about the Invesco. Invesco is the second largest gold fund out there. Um, it, it, It's a very, very large fund. We have a big allocation in their portfolio. For the size that we are, we have a big allocation. So those guys, when they pay attention to you and they want that extra, let's call it alpha, or that extra ex- leverage and exposure to the sector, you want to be on their radar screen, and you look at the, you know, the shareholder registry of some of the other other groups that um, let's just say propose to be in the same position as we are. Um, they don't have those shareholders. So I think the shareholder registry speaks for itself. So when it comes to retail, um, obviously everybody wants to see share price appreciation tomorrow. We all do. We're all shareholders too. Absolutely. This is this is how we make a living. Uh, but it's important to pay attention to. What are the large fund managers owning? Um, Take a look at shareholder uh, registries across the businesses that you're taking a look at. Where is the smartest money sitting or the biggest money sitting? Get some exposure to those stories. Hold on to it, ride the wave. And when that thing switches back on, you're going to make a lot of money. And these will be one of the names that you'll do it in.